0: Welcome to Just Quietly, a podcast where Senator Amanda Stoker has a laugh with friends and colleagues, cuts through the bull and explores the issues of the day. Let's get to the bottom of it all. Hello and
1: welcome to Just Quietly. I'm Amanda Stoker and today I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Councillor Stephen Huang of the Brisbane City Council. Now, Stephen has been doing great work for the... Um, the whole sort of Mount Gravatt, Sunnybank kind of region in Brisbane, and we're going to have a talk about that today. But I have just learned something really important, and that is that he used to be a radio broca- broadcaster with 4EB. So really, Stephen, you'll be all over this and running rings around me. <laughs>
0: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Yes, hi, I'm Stephen. Stephen Huang, Councillor for MacGregor Ward in Brisbane City Council. And indeed, I was a... Um, well, I, I had a program in Radio 4EB, uh, but that was a long, long time ago. I'm just here gradually picking up the feeling <laughs> of, of doing a, a broadcast online.
1: Well, I'm sure you will be all over it. Now, this has been a really intense time for, for everybody in Australia and um, in, in the suburbs of Brisbane is as good a sample really as any to see um, how COVID-19 has been affecting people. Uh, We see the impact on families as they've had to work from home, do school from home, um, protect their elderly or their their sick family members from exposure to the potential of the virus. How is it affecting um, the community you represent and the businesses that help to make it prosper?
0: Well, um, the community I represent in Brisbane has a significantly high proportion of um, multicultural communities including people coming from China, Taiwan, Korea.
1: It's part and of what makes it great.
0: Yep, that's right. But also uh, these places are the ones uh, first experienced COVID-19. Um, you know, the, the, the first one experienced the outbreak back in their home. So uh, we were informed about the, um, the effect of COVID-19 and what it is doing to uh, people's health and also to the society at large. So I remember around Chinese New Year this year, We've already been, um, you know, providing, for example, warnings to ECQ about you know the um, effects of COVID nineteen and its impact to the local government election, and unfortunately, back at the time, it wasn't taken seriously because, you know, when when it didn't happen to us, um, people don't get the implication of COVID nineteen.
1: Well, they've certainly um, had the experience now of. Um, all of the things of which you warned, and uh, I don't think it's a controversial thing to say that um, the council elections, which were conducted really at the peak of people's um, adjustment to this virus and its impact on our community, um, wasn't handled very well by the ECQ, and poor uh, yeah. you being in the middle of an
0: election at the time. Exactly. I remember we've been getting uh, uh, directives you know, on a daily basis. Sometimes we get a directive early in the morning from ECQ, you know, S to what we can do and what we can't do. But by the afternoon, there's a new directive.
1: <laughs> I noticed that too. And there was an inconsistency too in um, the candidates uh, following of those directives. There's you know sometimes room for interpretation or misunderstanding of what a directive might mean. And in the circumstances of an election, one candidate following the rule as it was intended and another doing something entirely can have material impacts so for you to have along with your um, council colleagues got through that aspect of things is um, is a very good thing. How are the businesses going in this area?
0: Um, well it's been quite obviously um, it's uh, si- COVID 19 has significant impact especially to uh, retail businesses but uh, there's one business you know everyone witnessed the prosper was the takeaway business. <laughs> Take away food. That's right, yes. I, um, I must say, I, I never done so much online shopping and, and take away <laughs> in my life.
1: I think even people who had a resistance to online shopping for things like clothes because they like to get the size just right were willing to give it a go during that, that
0: period. That's right, yes. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's a, w- whenever I look at my credit card, you know, state my wonder, when did I buy this? And uh, yeah. But also, uh, I understand there's an increased number of scams online, which you know may be a byproduct of um, online shopping and, and, and what happened to COVID 19
1: mm. as
0: late as just this morning you know people were receiving false or, or, or fake you know, government notices are sent to provide financial details yeah, it's easy
1: to exploit people's greater willingness to use things like credit cards online exactly um, to be. Um, to be stolen and, and used for terrible purposes. There's um, a lot of things we could say about the economic trends in this area that, that could emerge as a consequence. Um, there's a really ordinarily vibrant um, restaurant and food community throughout McGregor and um, I think that's something that I'm, I'm quite optimistic will bounce back quickly, particularly given people have been confined for some time. There's an enthusiasm for getting out and about and they have had, um, for those who are able to adapt to it, the ability to get some takeaway sales yep. during that time. Obviously, bottle shops seem to have done okay and um, Bunnings seems to have done okay and, and a few other types of, of retailers. But the retailers of the kind across the road over um, at Garden City, I think are going to experience some pain for a while. And that's twofold, not just... Recovering from this quiet period, but also recovering from the potential change in shopping habits that came from people using online shopping um, more than they have in the past. Um, What do you think that'll mean for the future of centres uh, like Garden City?
0: Well, I I think we are going to see uh, at a a short term, we are going to see a comeback of you know of customers because everyone's been in home isolation for so long they keen to go somewhere yeah. to...
1: Just get out. Yeah, just, <laughs> ju- just, just
0: to get out. But, uh, I, I would, I, but I also witnessed this change of shopping behaviour. And I think people... Um, you know, once, once people change behaviour, they tend to stick for some time. So I, I think there will be a, a change in, um, of course, shopping from um, in-store shopping to online, mm-hmm. but also on the... Um, categories of of, their, of what they buy. For example, um, you can see those gaming shops, you know, they've been prospered during this COVID-19. Yes. Um, you know, people were asking me where they can find a switch or, you know, any, any gaming machines.
1: <laughs> it's um, one of the things that I think is going to be a part of this new landscape is that um, the traditional shopping centre is going to um, morph more into an entertainment kind of experience rather than a, a place where you go and buy stuff. Um, and I think there will be more and more businesses that had a traditional shop front as its model, um, either adopting both um, more than they had in the past or, or even leaning more into the online side. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to mean fewer jobs, but it might mean different jobs. It might mean fewer retail sales assistants, but more warehousing type Um, help. So there will be changes, I think, that emerge from this time um, that may not undo, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean they're going to be uh, fatal for our economy.
0: Sure, sure. But uh, from a local councillor point of view, over the last few weeks, I've witnessed that um, there's a change of demand for shopping centres. For example, um, if you look at the shopping centres on the south side Brisbane, those uh, who have more restaurants tends to do better than the ones having retail stores. Mm-hmm. So I think people go to shopping centres these days as a place of, of uh, socialising rather than shopping. You know, people go out to meet people in yeah. shopping centres. Yeah, that's why um, shopping centres with restaurants tends to do better because it becomes a place of gathering. And um, and shopping-wise, I think people, of course, yes, people still go buy things in 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 local stores, but they get wider choices online. So the, the trend was we see a lot more restaurants open in local shopping centres, and the retail shops start to change their ways of sale.
1: One of the matters that has emerged from some of the southern states, particularly in Victoria, but also a little in New South Wales, has been some really... Unpleasant and um, unacceptable incidences of um, poor treatment of people who are of Asian appearance as a consequence of perhaps fear or paranoia um, from people in the community about um, the nature of COVID 19. Have there been experiences of that kind around here?
0: Well, I must say, we, you know, Australia is a very friendly country to the migrants. And uh, I personally have, have never had experiences like that. That's but good to hear. But of course, during this COVID-19 period, we heard stories about, um, I wouldn't call it racism, but probably a racially imp- um, implied conflicts. But to me, it, lots of these are more of a mischief than actually um, confrontation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think because uh, lots of the... Um, Asian migrants in here, they understood the danger of this virus. So they start to wear masks earlier than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's something that doesn't exist in Australian culture. So there could be some misunderstanding created by you know people seeing people wearing masks, and then they tend to do some kind of prank or mischief to these people. And I wouldn't call that racism, um, but of course, you know, we encourage mutual respect and understanding. But you know, over time, we see a lot of people just wearing masks now, just like everyone else, mm. because we understand it's an effective way of uh, minimizing the risk of the virus. So yeah, you know, over, over time, when we can resolve the misunderstanding and start to respect each other, we don't see those behaviors again.
1: One example that was given to me by a friend of mine who's a lawyer and she catches the train into the city to go to work was that um, you know, she's of an Asian background so that's uh, how she looks and she found that when she was on the train going to and from work nobody would want to sit near her. <laughs> and she just laughed and said, well, it's I get all the space, yeah. I get all the seats. But um, I can see how in a subtle way that could be um, hurtful to people and um, it's, it's worth reminding people that one – the virus doesn't discriminate um, in terms of anyone's uh, skin colour or background yep. and um, that we all carry the same risks sure. and um, we all benefit from the same precautions. And yep. In a way, we should be thankful to those around us who wear a mask because at the least they're keeping their germs to themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, um, you know, I, I get to see a lot more people start to wear masks now when they go to public places. Yeah, I've noticed it too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it masks prove to be the most effective way of preventing the, you know, the spread of the virus. So, you know, I, well, I must confess I don't wear masks, but I still encourage people, if you feel, you know, it's safer, please wear it. I think it's an effective way of preventing, you know, the uh, spread of virus.
1: I think of it this way. Um, if you see someone wearing a mask, rather than having a go at them, you should thank them um, because they're taking that extra... Discomfort and that extra precaution to True. to
0: yeah. do their bit. Yeah, one of the reasons I don't wear masks is because it is so uncomfortable. <laughs> so so they, are, they are self-sacrificing to make us comfortable.
1: They really are. Now, you've got a really important new role in the newly elected um, Shriner LNP Council here in Brisbane. Tell us about that.
0: Yes. Uh, well, I, I've been um, asked by the, the law mayor to, uh, to be the um, deputy chair of uh, finance administration, small business, but also on international relations. Um, and that's, that's a role I'm um, looking forward, especially after COVID-19, when we, when we are going back to a full you know, international inter- interaction. I think um, from this COVID-19, we understand there are a lot of things we can learn from. We can learn from overseas. That's an international call. I hope. Yes. So yeah, I, I think I think I think it's important that you know we are up to date with uh, what happens in, around the world, and we, we should, there are lots of things we can learn from other countries. Mm-hmm. So um, in in that role, you know, as the deputy to the law Mayor on international relations, I hope we can have more interactions, uh, and good exchange of new ideas and uh, news. For example, take this COVID-19, for example. Mm. If we get earlier uh, warning or information, then we could share that with our residents back home in here.
1: Yeah. Which is great. I mean, that's what the World Health Organization's um, rules in relation to pandemics were meant to do, make sure we had early warning of these sorts of things and good international cooperation to make sure that we help each other as much as is possible. But one of the great things about Brisbane being... Um, so good on its outreach particularly in um, Asia and in the Pacific is that uh, we can be on the front foot in a bilateral kind of way and in particular not waiting until the WHO gets around to it. We can already be leveraging relationships for instance in Taiwan where we know they did a really wonderful job of learning the lessons of SARS and um, making sure that it prepared them well to um, hit COVID-19 on the head as quickly as possible. So there's Great opportunities in that role, and I can't help but think you're very well suited to it. What are you looking forward to most about it?
0: Oh well, of cu- of course, you know, um, we we are now hopefully towards end of the COVID nineteen impact to our country, but I think um, at the council level as well as all levels of government, we are now have to uh, uh, do a plan for the road to the recovery mm. because you know once the pandemic's over, we have to get. Everyone back to the normal life, you know. And with um, the impact of the of the COVID nineteen, we see this re- reduce economic activities and also employment opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think it is important we um, borrow ideas from you know other countries on how they actually how they plan to recover from this COVID nineteen. And uh, yeah, and as you mentioned, you know there may be ex- ex- examples we can learn from Taiwan or possibly from New Zealand. And other countries which are less affected by COVID nineteen, and uh, yeah, and maybe we can think about bring our manufacturings back to our country to our city, so you know we we have our basic supply of the goods in the future, and that that will also create jobs locally here.
1: You were telling me before the podcast um, of some really wonderful activities of. Um, some of the Chinese and Taiwanese communities in this area um, around about the time that COVID hit in gathering together from sources all around the world a lot of the uh, PPE, the personal protective equipment that our hospitals needed and donating it to them. It's just that wonderful community spirit that Uh, um, is lovely to see.
0: That's right, yes. Um, The the Australian Chinese communities, you know, they, I must say, they are part of the mainstream. So, when, when this happens, they did everything they could to help our hospitals and uh, all these essential workers um, with this uh, PPE, the uh, medical supplies, and also to things like uh, providing meals to people in needs, essential packs to the seniors, to the homeless. Yeah, the, the, the communities really um, working together to make sure that we all survive this pandemic. You know we are all in it together. So I spoke to uh, some of the community leaders, and they actually gave me the figure. For example, one Chinese uh, organization alone, they have donated three thousand four hundred PPEs to the ho- local hospitals. Great. Right. Thirty six thousand masks to um, to the hospital as well. Yeah. And uh, and there's another Taiwanese organization. They've uh, um, joined with a couple of the local restaurants. Donated. 1,000 meals to local hospitals, to, to the yeah, to the medical and other essential staffs in there.
1: It's really significant, isn't it? That's right. And I think that highlights something that can kind of get lost in the way that the newspaper covers um, particularly some of the issues surrounding the relationship between China and Australia at the moment. Um, and that is to say that the many, many people of Chinese background who make Australia their home now Um, they might have their their history in China and they might have family there. Uh, But they have, for the most part, an enormous loyalty to Australia and contribute enormous things to our community. So it's important we understand that even if we might from time to time um, butt up against the Chinese Communist Party in what it is doing in um, its jurisdiction, it's a different thing entirely to valuing and appreciating the people of Chinese background in Australia who are well and truly Australians I and who are contributing so much here.
0: Exactly. Um, I remember one of, one of the complaints I received early during this pandemic was from the Chinese community. It says, look, we see us as Australian first. Of course, we have Chinese heritage, but we are Australian. So please, you know, treat us as Australian. And I think that's what Australia is doing. And I think we are doing very well. Because um, you know, although there were stories about you know attacks, sort of racially implied attacks, but uh, when I checked with the Queensland Police Service, there were only 16 cases across Queensland during this period. So you know, I, I think that's that's a very low figure considering the size and also the um, of our population. So, yeah, look, 16 cases, and I think most of these, you know, as I described as mischief or pranks, rather than a racist racial attack. So yeah, so I think um, we are lucky that in Australia, we have a very, very inclusive um, community in here that we see each other as Australian. I always like to use, you know, the lyric of the song, you know, we are one, but we are many. Yep. And that's exactly, you know, what Australia is about.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated, does it? Yep, that's right. Um, Just sort of basic respect between people, acknowledging we've all got a story and we've all got different backgrounds, but we've also got a role to play. Exactly. Stephen, thank you so much for making time for the podcast. I really appreciate your time. It's just a joy to catch up with you and keep up your wonderful work as part of the Lord Mayor's team here in Brisbane City Council.
0: Thank you, and I look forward to see you again. Catch you soon. Bye.